The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with two other newsletter writers. Roger Wiegand publishes Trader Tracks. That's a letter that's really geared more towards futures trading in the commodities and in the financial markets. And Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying and What is Chen Selling. We do have a special introductory offer uh, for you to try these, a one-time only introductory offer. Call my assistant in New York, Claudio Bossi, at 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426 or uh, call uh, or go to miningstocks.com, miningstocks, uh, miningstocks.com. Also go to jtaylormedia.com to access this radio show and a host of other things that I do and my partners do. would also like to mention that you can follow me now on Twitter. Um, and the handle is a new handle. We're using jtaylormedia, J-A-Y-T-A-Y-L-O-R, media just like jtaylormedia.com, which is uh, the site I just mentioned. We do want to thank our sponsors uh, for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are American Manganese, uh, Airway Energy, Clifton Star Resources, Eurasian Minerals, Gold Rich Mining Company, and Prodigy Gold. And by the way, we will be speaking to David Cole, uh, the President and CEO of Eurasian Minerals, uh, in a few minutes from now. Uh, in my newsletter last weekend uh, that I publish every weekend, I commented on the enormous progress that gold has made relative to stocks since the year 2000 when the equity markets overall uh, reached their peak. Of course, the Dow made a new high in 2007 as Greenspan's money creation, which he created out of thin air, fueled artificial bubbles all over the place. Most notable and most damaging, of course, Mr. Greenspan's uh, poisonous creation of money was the housing bubble, which has led to a depression uh, in the one industry in the United States that had, over many decades, always led us out of significant recessions and downturns in the past. Well, it's not doing it this time because there's so much damage caused by so much money created by Mr. Greenspan's Fed during that time that we have a housing depression like nothing we have seen since the Great Depression, for sure. 
What is pathological in this whole scenario in the Western world is debt. Debt was encouraged by Keynesian economics, which does not consider the damage is done by false money pumped into the economy as opposed to honest money and capital that results really from savings rather than from the printing press. The total debt in the United States relative to GDP is far, far worse than anything we have ever seen in our history. The previous high was in 1932 when the debt to GDP rose to 260%. Now, that spike back in 1932 was caused primarily by a plunge in income in the United States as the Great Depression really began to bite very, very hard. During the current depression, we have not even seen anything like the decline in GDP that occurred in the 1930s, yet, even even so, our current total debt to GDP ratio is north of 320%. 320% compared to the previous high of uh, 260 at the depths of the, 19, uh, the depression in 1932. What could really bite us hard uh, in this depression, I think, could bite us really hard ahead of uh, what we've already seen, and Lord knows it's been damaging enough after Lehman Brothers, but what really could hurt us badly would be a rise in the interest rates. And in fact, uh, Robert Prechter thinks that the U.S. long-dated treasuries have hit their low rates and will now begin to rise, and he thinks, very dramatically and very, very soon. In fact, he is believing that the long-dated U.S. treasuries will rise above their old highs in the 1980s of 16%. Now, can you imagine how devastating that would be to our economy, given the enormous amount of debt outstanding? Now, if interest rates rose because the economy was strong, well, you might, you might say that's, that's a good thing, or at least it's not a negative thing. It's demand is strong, and so uh, there's competition for existing savings. Of course, uh, of course the Fed, uh, being the Fed, that tends to, to accommodate and print money uh, as the public wants. But... What I fear is that Robert Prechter may be right in predicting that interest rates will rise not because of a strong economy, but in fact because of growing levels of default. Yes, even possibilities of default, and I would say perhaps a probability of eventual default of the U.S. Treasuries, the Treasury market going bust. Is that believable? Well, look at what's happening in Europe as it's spreading from the weak countries to the stronger countries. Now Spain and Italy and who knows from there. The problem is debt, so much more debt, it cannot be repaid. And this is what has happened throughout history uh, as these long Kondratiev cycles reach their uh, their end in debt creation, money creation, uh, at which, of course, when you get rid of gold uh, or silver and asset-based money, you are creating money uh, with debt. So debt is the raw material from which money is created, and debt is growing much, much more rapidly than income. Well, I've begun looking at some inverse ETFs that pay uh, that, that may enable investors to make some substantial profits if and when rates begin to rise. And I'm not suggesting that you go out and buy these. I'm just telling you I'm looking at them for my personal um, uh, potential investing and, and possibly mentioning it on to my to my own subscribers. One way to profit would be a, a rise in the high yield area. Uh, and uh, through an inverse ETF, and one that comes to mind is called the ProShares Short High Yield ETF, and the symbol is SJB. Now, I think, uh, as Prechter suggests, and it seems logical enough to me, the first thing that's likely to go will be the high yield market. We're likely to see the riskiest assets start to rise in prices as fear of default occurs first there. Uh, 
there are some pro shares also uh, that short the 20-year Treasury. There's one a straight. I think it's a one-to-one uh, and not a uh, and not a three times or a um, uh, an uh, ultra short. And that is the TBF. TBF is a symbol. The pro share is short 20-year Treasury. Uh, others that can give you a little more bang for your buck, or at least on the, uh, um, the ultra uh, type of investments, ETFs, uh, we're looking at uh, TBT is another one. I believe it's a, a three times, or at least it's an ultra short. Uh, another one on the 7 to 10-year Treasury uh, pro shares is PST uh, is a symbol. Drexian Daily has... Uh, uh, also a 7 to 10 year ultra short and also has a 20 year short. TMV is a symbol for that. Not suggesting that uh, you go out and buy these uh, and I would suggest before you do anything, you know, talk to your own financial advisor. We're not suggesting that you do this. It's just one way that you may be able to hedge against the potential decline because if interest rates start rising very dramatically, we could certainly see uh, a lot of destruction in the equity markets if, if Prechter's right about that. So these are some of the strategies I'm suggesting. Eventually, I fear it will become apparent that everyone is broke. I mean, this is what's happening in Europe. Uh, and when that happens, of course, this is really has been traditionally, historically, very, very bullish for gold. Um, and uh, as, as Bob Hoy has talked about, as I've talked about on this show, uh, we have... Um, We've seen over the last, according to, to uh, Hoy's work, over the last 300 years, uh, we've had, this is probably the sixth major credit contraction in 300 years. And each and every time when that's occurred, we've seen the real price of gold rise very, very dramatically. By that, I mean what an ounce of gold will buy. And uh, this has, uh, has translated into huge profits and capital flowing into the gold mining sector. This has been true historically the last time, of course, uh, in, uh, in recent history was the 1930s, when huge amounts of money went into the gold mining industry in Canada and into the uh, western part of the United States. Uh, and, and even today, the mines that are being reopened in many cases are mines that were started uh, back in the 1930s because the real price of gold rises very dramatically, and that leads... To, uh, to very uh, to increase profit margins. Well, just in a, in a few minutes after we go to break, we're going to talk to David Cole. He's the president and CEO of one of my favorite junior mining companies, namely Eurasian Minerals. This is a company with many good gold and copper targets, with major companies spending major amounts of money to find large scale deposits. And uh, this company very wisely is employing the project generator model, so it has other companies spending their money on that high risk, uh, the high risk exploration efforts. And I think Eurasian Minerals, as I say, is certainly one of my favorites. I own it. Uh, it is a recommendation in my newsletter, uh, and it is also a sponsor to this show. We have three main guests today. Dennis Marker, who has written a book titled 15 Steps to Corporate Feudalism, How the Rich Convinced America's Middle Class to Eliminate Themselves, he will be with me uh, after we speak uh, to David Cole. And then in the second hour of today's show, I expect to talk uh, to, two, uh, to two men who work for two of the most free market-orientated members of Congress, specifically uh, Jeff Deist, uh, who is Ron Paul's chief of staff, and Glenn Downs, uh, who is the chief of staff for Congressman Walter Jones of North Carolina. And he will, both of them together will be joining me uh, starting at about 4 o'clock today. We will see uh, to what extent these two gentlemen agree with the more liberal perspective of Mr. Marker. It should be an interesting discussion. Also, in the second hour of today's show, I do expect to have Chen Lin with me uh, to talk about his extensive recent tour uh, in Asia. He was in China. He was in Mongolia. 
and elsewhere, we're going to talk to Chen about what his views are on China right now. He's had a chance to talk to a lot of people who live there, his uh, ex-classmates uh, in the University of Beijing and elsewhere. So we'll see what Chen has to say and what his views are, not only about uh, politics and economics in China, but also uh, I'm sure he'll update us on a couple of his favorite uh, a couple of his favorite stocks. So we do have a very full schedule today, no doubt about that. Uh, we have lots to talk about. Uh, I think we want to get right on to David Cole. Um, uh, so we're going to take our first break right now, our first commercial break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to David Cole, President and CEO of Eurasian Minerals. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the Duparquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Naranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. Are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential, cash flow, and is located in a secure jurisdiction? Goldrich offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelar Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern-day techniques to explore the district that previously hosted four hard rock gold mines and various placer operations. Visit Goldrich on the web at www.goldrichmining.com or look us up under the ticker symbol GRMC. Prodigy Gold is transitioning from Gold Explorer to Mine Developer. We are well-funded. Located in stable eastern Canada, the Magino Gold Project has a robust production profile of 250,000 ounces a year. Strong project economics with a $939 million NPV. Total gold production is projected to be over 2.6 million ounces with an estimated mine life of 11 years. Drilling is underway and the scope of the project continues to grow. Please visit our website, www prodigygold.com and read more prodigy gold today's discovery tomorrow's future voice america business network the bottom line in business you're listening to turning hard times into good times with your host jay taylor if you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor, 
at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again David Cole. He's the president and CEO of Eurasian Minerals. For the sake of full disclosure, I should mention that Eurasian Minerals is a sponsor to this show. It is also a recommendation in my newsletter, and my wife and I own these shares personally in our retirement accounts. Eurasian Minerals is what is known uh, in the trade as a project generator company, which I firmly believe provides investors, at least generally, with the the best risk-reward business model in a very risky business. Mining is a very risky business. It's certainly not just digging a hole in the ground. Uh, Maybe that's what a lot of people think, but there's a huge amount of science that goes into building a mine and, and, before that, finding the minerals, and that's what Eurasian Minerals is involved with, certainly going out and staking a lot of very, very attractive projects properties and then getting other companies to come in and spend huge dollars uh, to develop or to find and explore and develop uh, those projects towards uh, hopefully some uh, feasible uh, projects. The company uh, trades uh, in uh, Toronto under EMX and it trades in the New York uh, exchange under EMXX, EMXX, 53.2 million shares outstanding, $2.10 earlier today when I checked it, giving a market cap around $110 million. And the company is well-funded with uh, uh, close to $40 million in, in cash resources. Welcome, David. It's really good to have you back. Oh, thanks for your support, Jay. Great to talk to you again. You know, for listeners who may not have heard uh, you the last time you were on this show, can you just sort of highlight some of your, your top projects? You're in Haiti. We are. Uh, you're in Turkey, and you're in Australia. So That's maybe correct. go over a, a couple of the top ones. What are some of your, your most exciting projects now? Sure, be happy to. Um, you know, first and foremost, as you said, Jay, you know, we're a prospect generation company, and so we build value for shareholders by acquiring prospective mineral real estate, and we do it on a global basis and then add value and then seek to joint venture those assets where we keep a royalty or a carried interest in those projects, thus passing along the highest risk expenditures to our partners. And so consequently, we have a whole portfolio that we use, utilize our expertise to manage uh, to the benefit of our shareholders. And, and so we don't have just one flagship property, which is the norm for junior exploration companies. Instead, we have a whole portfolio. But within that portfolio, certainly there are some ones that attract greater attention than others. And, and people are very, very, very interested in the joint venture that we have with Newmont Mining Corporation in Haiti. And Newmont is working on five designated projects. And they have many prospects on each of those uh, projects. And um, uh, they're drilling uh, at the moment, and we're very excited to, to have Newmont uh, working there. They've spent over $25 million in the last uh, a few years on our properties in Haiti. And we just love having their expertise and their money and, and their engineering and geological skill sets applied towards our properties. And uh, th- that's one to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, yeah have, that's, uh, that's in Haiti. Now, you had recently, I believe... Um, Haiti hasn't had that much mining uh, taking place there, and I think there was some um, some agreement or some work that Newmont is doing with the government to to create mining law there. Is that is that right? We've been working with the Haitian government now for years to help them advance the fiscal structure um, under which mining projects can be advanced, and that's still a work in progress. But there was a memorandum of understanding signed between the joint venture of Newmont and Eurasian and the government which has enabled us to move forward and drill some properties where there was uh, not yet a, a position where we could drill in the past, and we're quite happy to have that in place, and that's why Newmont is furthering the programs forward towards the drill stage. But we're not entirely there yet. There's still additional work that needs to be done, um, but uh, you know, I, I believe it is a, 
when not if scenario and and we're very happy to have Dumont leading the charge for us it, it it's a fantastic example of the execution of the business model there's certainly no doubt that uh, a country as poor as Haiti could use some basic uh, wealth generating industries and i would think that uh, if you and your partners can find some major deposit there, that will be a, a real blessing for that country, which is really suffering in many ways. Um, You're spot I'm, on in that. That's absolutely correct. And there's many attributes of this business that are feel good, but uh, you know the opportunity to create um, um, economic growth in a place like Haiti that could so dearly use it uh, makes us feel very, very good about what we're doing. Absolutely. Well, um, I, I want to ask you about some of the other projects because you, well, you have so many of them, uh, but if we want to key in on a, on a couple of them. But before we get to that, I'd like to ask you about a merger uh, proposition. I think it's, uh, want to ask you if that's going forward. There's a merger with Bullion Monarch, and I find this very attractive from my point of view because I know that they, um, they generate, well, they're a royalty company. Uh, and if you merge with them, it will certainly provide some royalty to the to the joint uh, to the new company or to your company, uh, which is uh, of course uh, very 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 helpful in continuing to avoid dilution, which is I think one of the biggest risks that all that all junior mining companies uh, face. And of course, you have this project generator model, which is designed in part to reduce dilution. But can you tell our listeners anything about the uh, the merger? Is that is that moving forward? Well. Certainly, it's moving forward, and, and uh, thanks for bringing it up. We're, obviously, we're excited about it, or we wouldn't, or we wouldn't be doing it. Um, the, uh, uh, there's a lot of rules and regulations with regards to, to what I can or can't say during the process of moving towards uh, completion of the merger. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, you know, there has been a press release that delineates the commercial terms by, by which the two companies are merging, and, and the assets within. Um, the assets within Bullion Monarch that capture our interest are the royalty income flow from the Carlin trend, and uh, th- those are very interesting royalties that have paid well in the past. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess uh, probably uh, investors or listeners could go to uh, Bullion Monarch's website if they wanted you to get some sense of what that company is about, I, I suppose they could do that. That would be a good resource, yes. Um, so you're in Haiti. Um, I noticed there was one project there, 243 mil- meters grading 1.71 grams per ton gold. That's quite a hit. Yes, and I believe you're talking about the Lamiel prospect. Yes. And that is uh, one of the first prospects that we delineated in the country of Haiti, and it was one of the catalysts for the Newmont deal, actually, and Newmont has developed a number of prospects since then. And uh, they are uh, potentially drill testing Lamiel um, at this time, so we're, we're excited to see those results. Um, the the result that you mentioned was actually a trench result, so those were results from surface. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, and uh, that was part of a surface uh, trenching program. Mm-hmm. A great example of the execution of the model where we came in early, acquired prospective mineral real estate, did surface work, which cost mm-hmm. less money, delineated soil geochem anomalies and trenching anomalies, and then, uh, then utilized those to market our assets. And when the phone rings and it's Newmont Mining Corporation on the other side, <laughs> delightful phone call to get, and and uh, we're very happy to execute the deal with them. Um, when do you uh, – so have there been any drill results from that project yet, or are there, you're still awaiting them? We've not announced any drill results from Lamiel yet, no, And um, but I know Newmont's out there working hard. And any idea of when they might be forthcoming? I probably shouldn't make any speculation okay. about that, but – um, uh, typically, uh, these drilling programs take a month or two to complete, uh, or a little bit more. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So we'll, we'll be certainly certainly watching for the for those results because if anything like those numbers extend the depth, it could be very exciting. I'm just speaking for myself. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but I'm I'm just speaking for myself and 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 providing my opinion to my listeners. Um, so that's that's Newmont on that project. Mm-hmm. You have um, you have another project or two in, in Haiti. We have one other project in Haiti that's currently not in joint venture with Newmont, and that's called Grambois. Mm-hmm. That has a historic gold resource that we're very interested in, as well as some copper intercepts that have been announced previously underneath the gold system. We believe it's quite prospective for our copper gold mineralization, and are advancing that now on a 100% basis, while to continue to look for a, a partner to to help advance that property. It's mm-hmm. quite interesting, and um, um, yeah, just another example of an interesting property within the portfolio. Mm-hmm. What? Um I, I've really been excited by your properties in uh, uh, in Australia. The Coonanberry project, yeah, Coonanberry, looks absolutely. I mean, it's just it's just enormous. It's really big, isn't it? I mean, the the, the target is big. We have over two thousand uh, square kilometers of mineral real estate tied up on the Coonanberry fault structure, and there's a fifty kilometer long zone where where uh, fossickers working with metal detectors out prospecting have found an astonishing quantity of coarse, visible chunks of gold. And it's just absolutely amazing that in this day and age people go out with metal detectors. There have been chunks of gold, we've been told, that have uh, exceeded 300 ounces and uh, a couple that have exceeded over 100 ounces. Uh, yeah. And uh, there's just some astonishing specimen gold that's been found with metal detectors there. And we're less interested in the specimen gold than we are in what the large bulk tonnage potential is. And we've been piecing together the geology and doing geophysics and geochemistry on that project now um, and uh, continue to advance our knowledge base of the property. Uh, and it's a property that's ripe for a joint venture uh, with an interested uh, uh, gold company to, to help bring that forward where we execute our business model. And that's a, just a super, super example of us bringing new product in to the company that we can uh, market to, to hungry gold companies. Do you do you have a joint venture in Australia yet, or are you still doing the preliminary early stage we're, work? We're there? doing all the work ourselves right now, and talking to a whole host of different parties that are potentially interested in the property. And we, this is a, just a great example, Jay. That, that when the shareholders buy Eurasian Minerals, they don't just get the existing portfolio, but they get the expertise that built that for, portfolio. And we continue to find and advance new prospects around the world. And the prospect that we announced in Alaska, Moran Dome, is a good example. And Coonanberry is a great example of new product that's coming in the door that we're adding value to by doing good geology and that are potential new joint ventures in the future. You have also properties in Turkey. Um, you just mentioned, uh, you just mentioned um, uh, uh, Alaska. I think you also have some properties in Nevada as well. We have a portfolio in Nevada, including a project that's joint ventured with Freeport MacMoran, and we have a strategic alliance in the western United States that is with Valet, one of the largest mining companies in the world, where we're mm-hmm. conducting copper porphyry exploration. Uh, we have a whole portfolio of assets and have had a, a quite successful business in Turkey for a number of years where we're advancing. What I, one of my favorite properties in the portfolio is a Karja in western Turkey where we are advancing a gold discovery with Santera as our partner. And we're drilling on that property as well, and I expect to see some drill results that will emanate from that property. Um, I'm quite excited about about Akarja myself, uh, I think that's a key asset in the company. Yeah, you, you, you have an awful lot of things going on, and I guess this is one of the 
one of the positives about project generators, too, is that you have a whole portfolio of projects that you're not diluting your shareholders from here to kingdom come, but you're getting other people to spend. And, and some of these projects that you have look like they look like they have the potential at least to be big. Otherwise, I think uh, large companies like you're talking about wouldn't be interested. So you never know until the project is explored, but it's certainly, uh, certainly a very exciting story. You also, before we only have a, a few seconds left here, but I want to ask you, uh, you've made some changes also in your corporate management. Could you just tell our listeners about that? Oh, I'd be happy to, Jay. You know, all, all of this work wouldn't be possible if it weren't for the intellectual talent base. And acquiring the people uh, is the most important thing that we do. And having Steve Enders come on, he's originally started as uh, a member of the board of directors. Then he became enamored with our business and became our executive chairman on a half-time basis. And now he's going on full-time and, and uh, taking the role of chief operating officer. Uh, Steve was the former uh, executive vice president of global exploration for Newmont Mining Corporation, and pr- prior to that he was the president of exploration for Phelps Dodge, the largest U.S. copper company and the largest U.S. gold company, respectively. And to have him on as our chief operating officer is fantastic. Michael Wynn has then stepped forward to be the chairman of the board, and, and he was one of the founding shareholders in the company and has been a strong contributor at the board level uh, for a number of years, and, and he's very excited about where we're headed also, Alan Cockle, uh, he was vice president of technical services and engineering for Newmont Mining Corporation prior to retiring, and to have him on board to help us anal- analyze and, and make astute business decisions with regards to our advanced projects and uh, opportunities that we evaluate is fantastic. So we just continue to beef up the intellectual talent base that cranks out the interesting product. Um, and my strong belief is that astute business decisions start with a clear understanding of the technical attributes of the projects. No, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It, it is a very, very complicated business. As I, as I mentioned earlier, it's not a matter of digging a hole in the ground. It's a lot of science involved and, of course, uh, compliance with regulatory issues. And, and uh, I know you all want to be responsible miners and, uh, and do a good job with respect to the environment and all of that. What, are, you have nearly $40 million of financial resources now available to you. Are you going to need to raise any money anytime soon, or are you, are you set for a little while now? No, we don't plan on raising any money anytime soon. And most of the money that we've raised has been for strategic reasons, um, bringing in the IFC as a shareholder or bringing in Newmont as a shareholder part and parcel to the deal in Haiti or bringing in Antofagasta as a shareholder part and parcel to our deal in Sweden. And uh, that went, uh, I'm very, very pleased to have Antofagasta with a strategic alliance in Sweden, and that's moving forward. Mm -hmm. We're not in a position where we need to continually um, do financings. In fact, we've never done a brokered financing. All of our financing has been non-brokered. Oh, excellent. Uh, We we are basically out of time here. Can you tell, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners before we conclude today's discussion? Yes, uh, one of my favorite things, and that is that these are extremely volatile times, and you want to use that volatility to your advantage, not be used by that volatility. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's that's uh, really good advice, and certainly, I, as I said earlier, I think the project generator model is probably uh, one of the best, if not the best, risk-reward business models for this industry. I want to thank you very much uh, for being with us, David, and uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime in the not-too-distant future. Thank you, Jay. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Dennis Marker. He's the author of a really interesting book called 15 Steps to Corporate Feudalism. Uh, You're not going to want to miss this discussion, Uh, so stick around. We'll be right back with Dennis Marker. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused, Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the DuParquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Noranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. Are you looking for a junior gold company that will give you upside exposure to major gold discovery potential, cash flow, and is located in a secure jurisdiction? Goldrich offers you a unique opportunity and controls almost the entire historic Chandelar Mining District, located in the prolific Ambler Schist Belt in Alaska. The company is applying modern-day techniques to explore the district that previously hosted four hard rock gold mines and various placer operations. Visit Goldrich on the web at www.goldrichmining.com or look us up under the ticker symbol GRMC. Prodigy Gold is transitioning from gold explorer to mine developer. We are well-funded, located in stable eastern Canada. The Magino Gold Project has a robust production profile of 250,000 ounces a year, strong project economics with a $939 million NPV. Total gold production is projected to be over 2.6 million ounces with an estimated mine life of 11 years. Drilling is underway, and the scope of the project continues to grow. Please visit our website, www.prodigygold.com. ProdigyGold.com and read more. Prodigy Gold, today's discovery, tomorrow's future. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me for the first time today Dennis Marker, and he is the author of a very interesting book titled 15 Steps to Corporate Feudalism, How the Rich Convinced America's Middle Class to Eliminate Themselves. And uh, Dennis started his career in Washington, uh, D.C., at the age of 21. He, uh, he has uh, worked for the U.S. Congress, the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, various political campaigns, uh, Jim Wallace and Sojourners Magazine. In addition, he helped launch and direct Washington, D.C.-based progressive nonprofits, including Witness for Peace and the Pledge of Resistance, 
Uh, this work took him uh, from every country in Central America to Iraq, among others, where he negotiated with government officials and non-government organizations looking for ways to avoid war and limit civilian casualties. Marker uh, has appeared on numerous network and cable television news and talk shows in the United States, Canada, Mexico, Australia, and throughout Europe. In addition, he has written, edited, and been the on-air voice for a weekly UPI syndicated political radio commentary. Welcome, Dennis. Really good to have you on Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I said thank thanks a lot for having me. I'm glad to be here. Real really uh really interesting book that you have uh the 15 steps to corporate feudalism. Uh feudalism of course we think was something that occurred in the Middle Ages it couldn't happen again. So we're going to try to find out how you think we're we're moving in that direction or we're already there or close to it. Uh I would like to just ask you last week we had a former uh Cleveland and New York Fed Federal Reserve economist and lawyer on the show. Uh, his name is Walker Todd, and uh, Walker told me that he believed that the high mark for America's middle class uh, was between about the years 1966 and 1973. Does that sound about right to you? About, I would say, I, if you look at, at the, the numbers, you can see a definite mark change. In fact, I have a, a chart in my book that shows a change from 1979. And, and actually, it's an interesting chart. Mm-hmm. What it does, it talks about the percentage of wealth controlled by the top 10% of mm-hmm. people in the country. Mm-hmm. And it shows that right from 1917 until the Great Depression, that that percentage of wealth averaged between around 45%, got up to 50%. And after the Great Depression, it dropped down into the 30s. And it mm-hmm. stayed there all the way from the Great Depression until 1979. And then you can actually see the, the change in the percentage of wealth controlled by the top moving gradually up, which means, of course, there's less for everyone else, what we call mm-hmm. the middle class. Yes. Yes, but, yeah, indeed. It's a very that, interesting chart. I, I put chart it a few three. years later, but right in that period. Yeah, chart three, the wealth of America's top 400 billionaires uh, compared with that of the rest of the U.S. And this shows at the bottom 51%. Is this a current chart, I guess? That is, showing- within a year or two, you know. So 400 richest Americans own as much as the rest of the Americans combined. As much as the 51, the, the 51 percent, the, what we'd say the bottom 51 percent, which of course is millions and millions of people. Sure. So yes, 400 sure. people have as much as the 51 percent. Sure. Okay, if half. we're talking about the the top one percent, um, what what sort of incomes would you have to have to get into the top one percent? And they, I mean, the, the numbers are staggering. I did a, the fourth chart. I did just shows I, I broke down, you know, some of some of the um, CEOs because we're talking about whether they need additional tax breaks. And mm-hmm. one of them I mentioned here is an insurance company executive who makes nineteen thousand dollars per hour. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of money that we're talking about. So yeah. we're talking about giving tax cuts to the people at the top. We're talking about giving tax cuts to people who are making nineteen thousand dollars an hour. Mm-hmm. Which you know, I could survive on nineteen thousand dollars an hour. I think I could probably you know send my kids to school on eighteen thousand dollars an hour. I'm thinking, and <laughs> my guess is that most U.S. citizens could do fine on that. <laughs> That's a guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a pretty safe guess. Uh, it really is. Uh, it really is an interesting chart. I think you, uh, the Wells Fargo chairman there, uh, John Stumpf, was pretty high himself, but compared. To Ronald Williams of Aetna, uh, big big numbers there. It's it's incredible. It's mind-boggling for many people who are lucky to make that for the entire year to see that kind of income. Well, exactly uh, right. 
exactly. and, and and certainly living in New York City as I do, um, you, you're at the poverty level, of course. But but if you just worked uh, one day, you would be well above the poverty level at that rate. Um, so 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 the middle class has lost an awful lot. Uh, what about the top ten percent or so? Because I think, you know, what sort of how does that break down? If you're well, well that's that's the that's what's happened. I mean, what has happened is there has been a wealth transfer from mm-hmm. what we would call the middle class, everyone else, to the people at the very top. Mm-hmm. There's, there's Five no or ten percent about that. It's been massive, and it's and it's been taking place over this thirty thirty five year period. Mm-hmm. Would you see? Uh, it, my, it's my sense as as a as a man who used to work in the financial industry, I used to be a, a credit analyst, and then I did a little bit of investment banking with some international banks in New York City. It's my sense that the banking industry, in fact, I had when I worked with a Dutch bank, a, a Dutch boss who said, we make way too much money for what we do. And he was making, you know, he was living in New Canaan, Connecticut and doing very well. But he had the sense that things weren't right, that as bankers, we were making way too much money for what we were doing for people. And I always admired John for that. But um, do, do you have a sense that it might be more in the financial sector than some of the other sectors where this where this wealth transfer is taking place? Well, I mean, you can look where it's going. Um, the financial sectors clearly are part of it. But but you have you know in the past like since since 2008 when we've had you know obviously the Great Recession, some of you know some of corporate America has made record profits. Mm-hmm. Not only have they made record profits, but they're they're sitting on more money than they've ever sat on before. I mean, it's just like you know, I think some of the, these large corporations have have more money than the U.S. government at this point. Oh yeah, I think uh, I, my my sense is that some of these really big corporations probably own the U.S. government, but that's another issue. Well, well that's which is also true, but that is a different issue. Yeah. Um, all right. So so the financial sector. I mean, I'm just looking at those two examples in your book on page right. six. Uh, right. One is a Wells Fargo chairman, and the other guy is uh, Aetna CEO. So there's well, a insurance companies. Well, I guess Aetna is partly finance, partly I think they do insurance. I sure. Insurance, right. Yeah. But yes, you know those are. But there are a few, and that's why I, I talk about corporate feudalism, and I and I do that because I want to make it very simple to understand what's actually happening. And so mm-hmm. if you look at the traditional feudal system, which people know through maybe perhaps Robin Hood, and mm-hmm. and, and what happens, you have these few feudal lords that control everything and of course because they have the wealth and power they also control the government mm-hmm. um, that, that does their bidding when you get to that level and everyone else basically is you get the crumbs if you don't like it you starve mm-hmm. and, and so uh, the way we're heading now and some would say we're already there mm-hmm. is you have these giant corporations that have taken over the role of the of the feudal lord mm-hmm. so now it's not a feudal lord but if you want to work for this corporation, as we're seeing now, mm-hmm. they'll either move your job overseas or you'll continue to take more and more cuts. Mm-hmm. Not because mm-hmm. they're making less money. They're mm-hmm. making more. Mm-hmm. But there seems to be, in, in, um, I guess in the world, there's always been this situation where some people just feel they need to control more and more and more. And the sense of, of being fair to workers or the sense of creating a middle class. Yeah, uh, or, or maintaining a middle class is not important. What's important is that I get more. Right, I head of a giant corporation, and you get less worker. Th- then the wealth is uh, the wealth becomes power to a great extent. Then precisely, and it it's not. Just, I mean, you're way way beyond anything you need to live to live a decent, uh, good life. 
when you're talking about the kind of money these gentlemen are making. What, um, so, you know, I'm, I'm, re- I'm thinking about the two political parties now, and I, I recall when I was working at, um, at, at, a mar- at a large international bank, I recall when Ross Perot was running for president, and I recall how nobody, and I was thinking he made some good points, but nobody in, in the company that I worked for, and this company was a company that was lending money to Mexico at exorbitant rates knowing they could get bailed out, uh, that, that it wasn't cool to espouse anything of virtue that Ross Perot might have said about trade and that giant sucking sound that he warned us about in trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it dawned on me that both the Republicans and the Democrats were sort of playing the same game, it seemed to me, already at that time. Do, do you, do, to a certain extent, do you believe that's true? Right. What I do in the book is, is sort of talk about this 35-year period, 33, 30, 30, 35. Anyway, starting with the Reagan administration, and so what I outline is when it started, the proposals that, that Reagan outlined, these, these 15 steps that I talk about, mm-hmm. they were put forth by the conservatives. Mm-hmm. What has happened, and, and surely by the time of Ross Perot, a lot of that had happened, many of these steps had, had already taken place. Mm-hmm. And so what you see, in it, and I talk about it in the book, is more and more both parties accept these, these what were considered mm-hmm. in the 80s radical ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and so... Surely what you had, um, well, with absolute free trade, when, mm-hmm. when the idea of free trade came along, meaning that we're going to compete, America's middle class is going to compete with the Honduran middle class, or mm-hmm. I mean the, the, not the Honduran worker that can work mm-hmm. for $3 a day. Mm-hmm. People, there were people saying this is crazy. But as we moved along, it just became accepted, even yeah. though it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Partly through media ownership, the control of the message, mm-hmm. people became more and more complacent. So by the time of Ross Perot, the only people who were really saying this is, you know, that Ross Perot is right and mm-hmm. the path we're on is crazy were the people on the fringes. Right. That's so, correct. Yeah, and, it, it and, and I knew that cross, it wasn't cross. cool to argue that for my own uh, political savvy within the corporation. Um, you know, if you wanted to get ahead, you, you sort of realized that that wasn't cool. Right. And, and um, you know, unfortunately, by that period, I would say all the Republicans. Now, I don't count, you, when you talk about Ron Paul, I don't count him as a Republican. I mean, I know <laughs> he's got an R next to his name, but, but he's way closer to me than to, I think, to the Republicans. Well, I think you're absolutely right about that. I think he would probably agree with that. And, and certainly the Republicans would be just happy if he just uh, dropped <laughs> off the end of that stage. Right. But, so. So you did have you, know, you do have did have some people that were still agreeing with Ross Pro that were in the in the political system, but mm-hmm. they were unfortunately few and far between. Mm-hmm. And that's been the transition that we've had. That's that's what I wrote this book about. It's just showing how fast. It, it, one thing I say in this book: I don't think ever in the history, any place I could find in the history of the world, has a middle class been actually just convinced without a war to economically eliminate themselves. Mm-hmm. And so how you talk people into doing that is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and if you had said 30 years ago, 35 years ago, you said, you know, middle class, we don't need you any longer. We can outsource your jobs. We can do this and that. Um, so we're just going to get rid of you. The middle class, of course, would have revolted. So you can't mm-hmm. do that. So, so what I do in the book is say, okay, how do you get the middle class to accept their own demise? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's remarkable. It's a rem- remarkable accomplishment. Yeah, it is, and and you offer an awful lot of uh, ideas about how how that has been achieved. 
you know, I'm wondering, I mean, this isn't exactly a number of, a small number of people that have gotten together in a, in a room and have conspired. Would you say it's just sort of the way people are? Like, like some people really want to just get rich and powerful and they find ways to do that. I mean, it's, it's certainly, you, you talk a lot about the propaganda machinery in the media in your book. Uh, and we had one one guest on this show from Russia who saw the decline in Russia uh, during Perestroika during that that whole time frame, and he he says that our propaganda is far better than anything the Russians had. He said in Russia you saw the you saw the hammer and sickle on the wall, and you knew that there were thugs that would beat the hell out of you if you disagreed with them and went the wrong way. But here you have uh, you have you know you have P- Princeton and Harvard PhDs. Uh, dressed in, in, you know, really well-spoken people who are the instruments of our propaganda machine. Would you see it that way? I, I definitely, I would agree completely. And, and I think the difference that I would see in a place like Russia and, and, and China, even I was in China mm-hmm. last summer, mm-hmm. and the people there, they know not to believe their media. And mm-hmm. so that's a major difference in, in Russia at that time, you know, People just, of course, they can say anything they want. They could say the moon is blue cheese, and everyone, yeah, yeah, yeah. The difference here is you have a large amount of people who actually believe what they're told, even though it's provably false. Mm-hmm. You, I, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, and, and uh, you know, whether uh, whether it's whether it's Fox, Fox has their own their own people that follow them, and they like what Fox says. And then you have other uh, the other media, but it seems to me. That the corporate uh, interests have have dominated all the media, uh, to an extent at least. Even the media like let's say CNN and CNBC or uh, CBS and those. Would you agree too? I would say Fox is a different animal. Yeah. Meaning meaning that, um, and and I and I go back in the history, thirty thirty five years ago. The media was really mixed on some issues, and, and it depends on the reporter. They're going to be liberal. They're going to be conservative. Mm-hmm. Partly it's who you know, whatever, but it, it's completely mixed. Mm-hmm. But Fox came along and did something that has never been done before, which actually was in the name of actual mainstream media. They just started pushing forward a what I call the corporate feudal agenda. And so what you never got from any media from, from this period, surely in my lifetime, accurate stories if it's going to be reporting on the business world in a negative way. Mm-hmm. They're always going to take the side of business because business owns them. I mean, big business. Mm-hmm. You know, who owns the media? Mm-hmm. And that's been the case for, for, my, for my lifetime. Yeah, I, I cert- we didn't have this constant 24-hour-a-day propaganda that didn't have to be true. It just had to be repeated often enough that if you only watch Fox, you completely get a distorted view. And, and that's been proven... In study after study, the most mm-hmm. recent ones come out saying that people who watch Fox News exclusively actually know less than people who know to, who, who listen to no news at all. Uh, I could, I, it, it, cer- it certainly is the propagandist and the and other in dictatorships in the past have understood that if you tell the people a lie often enough, they'll they'll certainly start to believe it. Well, Fox had this. Uh, I don't know who it was O'Reilly or who it was. Uh, we report, you decide. I guess that's. Uh, that that was <laughs> that, that's one of their things, right? Yeah, that was to try to make you believe that they were fair and objective. Um, well, they they say fair and balanced has been their has been their tag, but but yeah. they're anything but. They yeah. have one agenda, and they're just going to cover it. So we you, uh, in your book, you start out by defining feudalism, corporate corporate feudalism, middle class, and conservative. I think you've more or less touched on those subjects uh, on those on those uh, definitions. Now, is there anything else you'd like to add? 
you, no, you I talk. think that's you know that's that's um, I, I, as I said, I mean we can call it a lot of things, but I think feudalism is something that people can easily understand, and and so you just imagine instead of your old feudal lord, you mm-hmm. have your corporation. Mm-hmm. The more money you have, and especially now the way that our, our political system is based on how much money you can raise, uh, you can control the policymakers and what it, you get them to do. You get mm-hmm. them to further support your agenda. We had um, the a feudal system. The, the British, you would say, the British had a feudal system they tried to set up uh, here prior to 1776. Well, certainly. I mean, a land-based, sure. Sure. And so we had this thing, you know, that the Tea Party, the original Tea Party, was no taxation without representation. Would you not agree that we already, or we already are back at that point in time? We 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 have taxation without representation. It seems to me. I, I can remember years ago when I could call my congressman in Queens, and I would get, you know, I get a letter back, or he would respond to me, or someone in his office would respond to me. Today I get more response from Ron Paul, who I've known for many, many years, and so maybe it's not a fair comparison than I can get from my own congressman in Queens, because I think he is—he uh, doesn't have time for me as one vote. Well, that's right, and and now he doesn't need to care about you because now the system is completely based on money. I mean, right. money was important 35 years ago, but now um, if you or I wanted to run, and obviously, well, we have to just look at Dr. Paul, look at Ron Paul. Um, it doesn't matter how much better his message is, there is no way he's going to be allowed. Basically, the system is, is so rigged against mm-hmm. somebody other than someone willing to work with the giant corporations mm-hmm. and, and the money that they provide. It's not mm-hmm. going to happen. And so you, can, you still have people who are in office who are in office for a long time mm-hmm. before this. But the new people that are coming up, you're not going to get elected. I don't know what the cost now to win a, win a congressional seat, but it's a huge amount of money. Yeah, you're not going to win without that money, yeah. and and so and in the way it's set up now is, if you don't have that money, they're not even going to let you let you in the debate. There was another libertarian who ran uh, in the, tried to run the Republican primary, Gary yeah. Johnson, yeah, and they kept him out of the debates because they said he hadn't raised enough money. Yes, so yes, they can. I, they don't even give you a voice if yeah. you can't raise the money. And who are you going to raise the money from? My five dollars or your five dollars? No. Yeah. Well, to a great extent, Ron Paul did that through the Internet, and he was able to raise a considerable amount of money, more than a lot of his other, for a while. But, um, you know, I think that was a remarkable achievement in many ways. I would say that there's other people with different political persuasions. I don't know. Uh, I've, I've wanted to get Dennis Kucinich on this show sometime because I believe he's another person of honesty and integrity, maybe doesn't agree with Ron Paul on economic issues or with myself and some of those issues as well. But I admire people who really... Uh, have principles and they stick to them and they vote for them and if they get voted out so what what's important more is the ideas and the principles than their own than their own political success how many people in washington are like that these days though well it's funny you mentioned dennis kucinich he he was probably my favorite congressperson and and he worked with ron paul all the time those two actually i used to say you know i I was at georgetown university for a while and there was this I remember a professor drew this linear line, and he was talking to some version of, of politics. And, and what I said, really, um, it's circular. And so a guy like Ron Paul and a guy like like um, Dennis Kucinich, they might be back-to-back on a couple issues, but they're way closer than all the people in that line in between them. Yeah, they certainly are on many issues. I would say uh, certainly on, on uh, foreign policy and certainly on uh, issues of, of liberty and, and free speech and that sort of thing. Well, and on integrity. 
Yes, I, then, I mean, <laughs> you know, they're not, neither one of them was willing to be bought out. That's exactly right. And, and of so course, then, unfortunately, I would say the numbers are declining. Yeah. I, you know, I wouldn't give a specific number, but, but clearly it's just getting harder and harder. In fact, one of the things I mentioned in my book, and I ask people to consider this, do you think that you would be better off, we as a country would be better off, if we simply had our election by congressional districts, but instead of voting, we simply did a lottery? Mm-hmm. And the reason, I, uh, the reason I throw that out there, that's what the Athenians did when they invented democracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and interestingly, they said the reason they didn't want to have a vote is because they said the, pe- the, the rich families would have too much influence and they could get themselves elected. Mm-hmm. Which, fun, interestingly, now all these years later, this is the system we have. Mm-hmm. And so if we picked by lottery, we'd have you know, a homemaker or a homeschool teacher or, or you know, you'd have a whole range as opposed to a bunch of basically a bunch of lawyers and a, f- and a few other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we would have people, you know, and, and you'd be electing them so it wouldn't be based on money. So they'd mm-hmm. actually be there trying to do what's best for the country as opposed to trying to do what's best for what I call their owners, mm-hmm. which are the people who give the million-dollar campaign contributions. Yeah, yeah, the owners of the system. It's, uh, it's way unfortunate. Well, we've barely discussed, we've barely gotten into your book, uh, <laughs> as I wanted to do, and we're, we're almost out of time. I do have both of uh, both guests... Uh, both Jeff Deist and um, and my other friend coming on with me here, uh, both uh, chief of staffs of two congressmen. And um, if you could stick with us uh, a little bit longer, perhaps we can have a, an exchange between the three of us. Would you be willing to stay, Dennis, a little oh, longer? Sure. That would be great with me. Okay, great. Um, folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back. Uh, Jeff Deist uh, is going to be with us and uh, also my friend uh, Glenn um, and I'm missing his last name right now. My apologies, Glenn. We'll get it in just a second. Folks, don't go away. We'll be right back after the break. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused, Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arrowway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arrowway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arrowway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Why invest in Clifton Star Resources? Because they begin the year with excellent drilling results and high goal recovery tests on the Duparquet project. A new experience management team with proven exploration and development achievements is in place. The properties have historically produced over 1.5 million ounces of gold. They are located along the prolific Porcupine Dester Break in mining-friendly Quebec, near Rouen, Noranda. A new resource estimation will be released in May. Clifton Star is only 35 million shares outstanding and is well-funded. 